the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Revelation. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. As a result of the Age of Enlightenment, which was basically 1600 to 1830, the Age of Enlightenment began to influence these Christian colleges and universities, originally founded as such, and they started, these Christian colleges and universities started abandoning scripture and their founding principles because of the influence of the Age of Enlightenment that was led primarily by French philosophers like Descartes, Voltaire, Rousseau, Diderot. These were, they were outspoken critics or skeptics at the very least of Christianity. As Pastor Gary continues his teaching series through the book of Revelation, he'll be encouraging you to be a student of the Word of God. The enemy is crafty and has infiltrated most institutions that are influencing young and even older minds. The only way you won't be brainwashed by the wicked doctrines of the enemy is to know the Word of God yourself. You need to be cleansed daily with the washing of the Word of God and grow in discernment so you can recognize false doctrine. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Revelation chapter 3 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. He said, in reality, as it relates to your walk with me, you're wretched, you're miserable, and you're poor. And then he also adds here, you're blind and you're naked. And again, a play on words here, because they were known for their eye salve. He says, well, you're really known for helping people with eye infections. But let me just tell you, again, as it relates to me, you're blind. You're blind and you're naked. Again, the black wool industry is something that produced very expensive clothing. But, but he says, you know, you might walk around with beautiful wool coats and stuff, but in reality, you're, you're just, you're, you're naked before me. You're exposed before me. So Jesus complains about these things. And this is why Jesus says here in the text in verse 18, this is why he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. Gold refined in the fire is just a play on words. It means a pure faith that you might be rich in the real sense. And he says in verse 18, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And the white garments is a, is a picture of being clothed in righteousness. He says, you know, you pride yourselves in, in this glossy black wool clothing, but what I really want for you is to be clothed in my righteousness. He says, and in the rest of verse 18, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. In other words, their ISAF could not cure their spiritual blindness like Jesus can. So he challenges them there in verse 18 
But look, you know, despite the fact that he has nothing good to say about them and he has a lot of bad things to say about them, the Lord still has a heart for these people. That's why he says in verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. He still calls them to repent. It's not like he completely discards them. There's still a place for them if they would just simply humble themselves and repent because he wants a relationship with them. Even the most wayward person Christ died for and wants a relationship with. And that's why he adds there in verse 20, a very familiar verse that we often quote, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Now this this verse there, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I mean, we have songs out of it in Sunday school, but there was actually a painting that I'm sure most of you are familiar with. You probably have seen, how many of you have seen this painting before? Yeah. So it was painted in 1942 by a guy by the name of Warner Salmon, and the original one looked a, a, very different, but, and it was painted by Holman Hunt in 1853, but uh, Warner Salmon came along in 1942, and he painted this painting based on Revelation 3.20 of Jesus standing at the door and knocking, and uh, most of you might know this, but in the painting, he intentionally left a doorknob off of the door. There's, there's no way for Jesus to open this door because the idea is if you really want relationship with him, he's standing at the door knocking. You have to open the door and let him in. You have to open the door and let him in. He's not going to barge his way in. He's not going to force his way in. And so Solomon intentionally did not want to paint a doorknob onto the exterior of the door because the emphasis is on, behold, I'm standing. God is doing all that he can to reach you, but you have to open that door from the inside. You have to let him in. He's, he's standing there ready to come in, but you have to let him in. So back to the summary, the reward that he mentions here at the end of this letter is that uh, to those who overcome... In verse 21, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. That is to say that Jesus delights in sharing his inheritance rights as the son of God with all believers and he longs to spend eternity with us. This is what he's saying here. Romans eight seventeen. Paul said that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So that is simply a statement saying, you know, listen, my, my inheritance rights are yours, and I long to have fellowship with you and spend eternity with you. And so to him who overcomes, this is the promise. So there's still hope for these people. He doesn't write them off and say, well, I have nothing good to say, and therefore there's no reward for you. <laughs> what he's saying is, you, you got a long way to go, but there's still room to repent. Repent and turn to me, because my reward is that I want to have relationship with you. Now, this church, again, a literal church, we just went over the summary of this literal letter that Jesus dictates to a literal church, but on the timeline of church history, remember again now, it portrays one of two streams. So last week we talked about the Church of Philadelphia, the evangelistic church that is still ongoing today. We are a part of that stream as a, as a local church. Uh, but there is another part to this stream that Laodicea represents. It is the apostate church. It is still ongoing today, too. So there is presently, within the church age, 
and I'm sure you've noticed this, if, if you have any awareness of, of how some churches are very different from others, you have two streams of churches today. You have a stream that is orthodox and evangelical, and you have another stream that is liberal and uh, not orthodox in doctrine and, um, and apostate. And, and so how do these two streams diverge? And how is it that the Church of Laodicea represents this particular apostate stream uh, of the church today? So I, I want to talk about how we got here, and not we ourselves, but how the church in general got here. Uh, and, and the fact is that as we get closer to the return of Christ, this, this is something to be expected. The stream has diverged into two streams, represented by these last two churches, Philadelphia and Laodicea. The Church of Philadelphia is the true church. The other stream, Laodicea, is the apostate church. The true church is made up of genuine believers. The apostate church is made up of pseudo-believers. The true church will be raptured when the trumpet call of God is sounded before the tribulation. And I'm going to build that argument if we have time later today when we get into chapter 4, if not next week into chapter 4. But the apostate church will go through the tribulation. These are going to be the people who are like, you know, Lord, Lord, didn't, didn't we do miracles in your name? Didn't we? And Jesus is going to be like, depart from me. I never knew you. Because you're pseudo-believers. You're a Christian in name only. But your practice and your life did not reflect true faith. So when we say apostate, we're talking about the church that is Christian in name only, but not in practice or theology. Apostasy means a falling away from or an abandoning of the faith, and the Bible predicts it. So we need to be aware of it. Now, how does this happen? How did this happen? That in, in reality today, the church is two divergent streams. Around the turn of the 20th century, theologians and pastors started believing that God was narrow-minded. They would read the Bible, and they would say, well, I, I can't really agree with this, and I can't really agree with that, as if somehow they are more enlightened than God. I mean, the audacity to read the Bible and to say, well, that's out of date. I don't know what God was thinking when he wrote that, but we're more up-to-date, we're more current, we're more woke, and so, you know, we, we get it better than God does. Really, we get it better than God does. And so certain theologians and pastors began to abandon certain doctrines around the turn of the 20th century that were perceived as intolerant or out of mainstream society and culture, basically then allowing culture to shape the church rather than the church shaping the culture. And this is what we see happening in our world today. And here's how it started. Since the early 1900s, the church has been slowly cutting itself away from the moorings of sound doctrine and accepting liberal theology that basically denies the inerrancy of God's Word. Once you start playing with the foundation of faith and practice, which is the Word of God, denying its inspiration, denying its, its inerrancy, everything else unravels. You lose the foundation of faith and practice, everything else unravels, and that's what happened. And so the influence originally came from European liberalism and men like these guys, 
Uh, this is Albrecht Ritschel and Adolf von Harnack, two German theologians who believe that the Bible is not true in its totality. So they started spreading this. They had great influence throughout Europe as German theologians. They don't look like very happy guys, do they? I mean, this is what happens when you start denying the Bible. You look like that, all right? You get very unhappy and old. That's what happens. Okay. Um, and so these guys denied the Bible in its, in its totality. And then you have another guy who's, who, who joined the club, uh, Harry Emerson Fosdick. In 1922, Harry Emerson Fosdick, in a sermon before the Northern Baptist Convention, declared that Christianity did not, did not need, quote, the intolerance of fundamentalists, but rather the tolerance of diverse belief practiced by enlightened modernists, end quote. That is exactly what he said in 1922 before the Northern Baptist Convention. Translation, basically, he's saying we can't hold to absolute truth because we are enlightened and we know more than God. And so we deny the absolute truth and the authority of Scripture because we are more enlightened. And the result of this liberal theology over the years has now led to the accepted practice in many denominations and many churches around the country of, again, starting with denying the inerrancy, inspiration, and relevancy of Scripture. And when you start there, again, everything else unravels. And so that's why today, in some of these liberal churches that are a part of this Laodicean stream, we have a tolerating of sin under the banner of love, rather than addressing sin under the banner of truth and grace so that people can experience genuine forgiveness. So it's a toleration now of sin. It's not calling certain behaviors sin. It's a toleration of it. In fact, it's even become more than toleration. It's become a celebration, a celebration of sin under the banner of love. We just love. Everybody loves, and so you can do whatever you want because God is love, and so we love you no matter what you do, all this kind of stuff, all this kind of nonsense. Instead of really presenting sin for what the Bible calls sin so that people might experience genuine forgiveness as a result of repentance, and it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. We need to be free. And the only way you can be free is to own your sin, confess your sin, be forgiven by God for your sin. And if nobody is telling you that certain behavior is sin, then you're never going to experience the forgiveness of God because you never come to the place where you acknowledge your need for it. And so this is a horrible disservice that is happening in, in many liberal churches where sin is, is, is not, it's just tolerated and celebrated under the banner of love rather than addressed under the banner of truth and grace so that people can experience genuine forgiveness. This then leads to the toleration and celebration of different things in different churches, the performing of same-sex marriages, the ordaining of homosexuals in the pastoral ministry, abandoning the pro-life position, abdicating our role to be salt and light in the world, in culture, and in politics, opting for social justice causes to the exclusion of the gospel. There's nothing wrong with, with certain causes that are just in regards to those who are suffering injustice, but what I'm saying is to the exclusion of the gospel, that's the fallacy. Social justice causes in many liberal churches have replaced the gospel, and instead it needs to be in partnership. The gospel has to lead the way, 
And then you can address injustices because you're leading with the gospel. And then, of course, in liberal Laodicean stream churches, you have the advocating of a universalist view that all people will eventually be saved and that hell only exists on earth. I mean, there are pastors teaching this. There are books being written on this kind of stuff. Now, at the same time that this is happening, that is affecting the churches because theologians are promoting this kind of liberal theology and denying the inerrancy of Scripture, you have, you have something else happening at the same time, actually just before the turn of the 20th century, around the 1870s and merging into the early 1900s. Remember, you have colleges and universities that were originally founded, many of them, your Ivy League schools as Christian universities to advance the gospel and to send missionaries out around the world. You can, you can look at the history of these churches and, uh, sorry, of these colleges and universities that were founded as Christian institutions. We're talking Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Columbia, Brown, University of Pennsylvania, Cornell, Dartmouth, okay? All those Ivy League schools were originally started as Christian institutions to send out missionaries and to raise up pastors and to equip people as Christians in their faith. But what happened in, in the 1870s and, and later is as a result of the Age of Enlightenment, which was basically 1600 to 1830, the Age of Enlightenment began to influence these Christian colleges and universities, originally founded as such. And they started, these Christian colleges and universities started abandoning Scripture and their founding principles because of the influence of the Age of Enlightenment that was led primarily by French philosophers like Descartes, Voltaire, Rousseau, Diderot. These were, they were outspoken critics or skeptics at the very least of Christianity. As well as, you have at the same time, Anglo-American and continental philosophers like Hobbes, Locke, Berkeley, Kant, Paine, David Hume, John Stuart Mills, some of of whom considered religion generally and Christianity especially as passé, barbaric, and increasingly irrelevant to humanity's march towards humanism and secularism. There was a book that was published in 2000. It was called The Sacred and the Secular University. It was by Roberts and Turner, two secular historians. They were not Christians, guys. They were two secular historians who documented this in their book, The Sacred and the Secular University. And in their discovery, they they show no evidence of overt Christian bias, but what they point out is they discuss the change in American universities. Here's what happened. From a Christian worldview to naturalistic philosophy. When that transition happened from a Christian worldview to naturalistic philosophy, they point out in their book that universities across the board fell first in the area of science. Right around the same time, of course, Darwin's famous book, The Origin of Species, 1859, became their new Bible in colleges and universities. The professor became the pastor, the classroom became the pulpit, and the university became the temple. And next then came influential thinkers like Darwinians, Thomas and his grandson Aldous Huxley, Engels, Marx, Hegel, Freud, Mead, Weber, Oliver Wendell Holmes, Roscoe Pound, John Dewey, B.F. Skinner, Samuel Atkins Elliott, and Charles W. Elliott, who was later president of Harvard University. And by the 1930s, The Ivy League schools had totally become temples not only to secular thought, but they were increasingly hostile to orthodox religious ideas of any kind, except, of course, the new omnipotent religion of liberalism.
So now check out what is happening. There are two things converging at the same time. You have on the heels of the Age of Enlightenment, which ended around 1830, Christian colleges and universities among the Ivy League schools originally founded as such, 1870s into the 1900s, started adopting the Age of Enlightenment that was really influenced by French philosophers and then continental philosophers too in our own American history. They started abandoning a a biblical worldview in, in deference to naturalistic philosophy Darwinian evolution started to creep in, this, this um, scientific abandonment of God's word to embrace evolutionary theory, and then all of those voices clamoring in the universities began to change those universities into very secular institutions that actually were antagonistic towards Christianity, and eventually, even today, somewhat hostile towards Christianity. At the same time, you have that happening in academia. You have happening in the church, liberal theologians like these guys behind me, who are taking the church in a very liberal direction, and now you have the convergence of these two into this Laodicean stream. Does everybody see this? And it has affected America, and it has affected churches. It has affected the way that Christianity has continued to Um, affect culture because now the convergence of those two things have had a very detrimental effect upon our culture, not a positive effect. But at the same time, you have this stream of the Church of Philadelphia, the evangelistic church, that that is constantly kind of pushing against this liberal theology and in in trying to make headway in in terms of the evangelistic message of the gospel around the world. And here we are today. And I, I can just hear Jesus saying to the church today, like he said to the church of Laodicea, but you don't realize just how wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked you are. And the Bible predicts that this kind of thing is to be expected. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 10, Jesus said, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. In 1 Timothy 4.1, Paul writes, the Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. In 2 Timothy 4.3, Paul says, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. That's what's happening in the liberal stream of the church today. And this church, this liberal stream, goes through the tribulation. It will go through the tribulation because they're not the real church. It's a pseudo-church. It's Christian in name only, but not in faith and practice. And this is where the church is today. Now, I don't want anybody to think I'm contradicting myself. When I said last week, and I repeated today, that on the timeline of events, we're, we're ripe, we're ready for another great awakening. And yet, I've just read you these verses that talk about an abandoning of the faith and a falling away, an apostasy that happens. I believe both can happen at the same time. Unfortunately, you're going to have people in the church who think they really are Christians who fall away from the faith, but you're also going to see a great revival of people who aren't even in the church of Jesus Christ who come to faith in the Lord because another sweeping great revival is going to happen in our land. And I pray, friends, listen, I pray that we will be a part of that continual mainline evangelical stream of Christianity that is never ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ that believes in the inerrancy of the word 
And that, and that continues to teach the truth wrapped in grace with the love of Jesus Christ because it is the only, the gospel is the only eternal life-changing tool for the human heart. That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this edition in Revelation again, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary through his Bible teachings, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Or you can download our mobile app to stay connected to the truth of God's Word everywhere you go. It's a great way to have a quiet time anytime. You'll find a link on our website, along with more information about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you. Come visit us. You'll find service times and more information about Cornerstone Chapel at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Is there anything happening in your life right now that we could be praying for? We'd be honored to do that for you. Or is there anything God's doing that deserves some rejoicing? Please let us know. We love that we can interact with our listeners. So send us a quick email and we'll get back to you soon. Prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. Put a marker where we left off in this final book of the Bible and make plans to join Pastor Gary next time for more right here on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.